0: FM to get started. Peace!
1: Hello and welcome to Anatomy of Marriage. I'm your host, Melanie Studley.
0: What's up, you guys? My name is Seth Studley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm beyond ecstatic today because we are interviewing the Big Leap author, Dr. Gay Hendricks, and it's amazing. He's hilarious. He's funny. You're going to get a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. out of this. It's something I'm going to listen to five times over, right. so check it out, people.
1: Enjoy! Thank you so much for being on our show. We are so, so, so excited to have you here. So before we dive into our conversation, can you tell our listeners a lot about yourself?
2: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, my name is Gay Hendricks. I uh, come from Florida originally. I'm a third generation Floridian, although I moved um, in my 20s. Uh, I got bitten by the bug of transformation early. I (sighs) I had a job in a school for de, uh, delinquent boys when I was 22. And I went back and I got my master's degree in counseling because I found that, you know, I was being hired to be a teacher, but I really needed to be a counselor because mm-hmm. the the stuff that was going on in their lives didn't have to do necessarily with the the book lessons I was trying to teach them. And so I got an early experience Um And then I ran a halfway house for juvenile delinquents for a while. Um, And then after I got my doctorate from Stanford, I went on to teach counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for many years. Um, Then something magical happened. Katie, my wife, Katie, uh, also known professionally as Kathleen Hendricks, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. um, We've been together. um, Well, we just celebrated our 41st anniversary. So we've been together a, a long time and, when we got together in 1980, we were both therapists and psychologists, and we started working with couples since we were a couple and we were uh, we wanted to work with couples. And so we did a lot of work with couples. And I always say we went from working with 10 couples in our living room to 10 million people on Oprah sort of overnight <laughs> uh, because we uh, wrote a book called Conscious Loving that came out around 1990. And it was just kind of in the heyday of Oprah and uh, mm. <clears throat> she was getting to be hugely popular. And so she invited us to come on her show and sort of the rest uh, things took off like a rocket after that we went from you know 10 people in our living room to doing 2500 seminars over around the world over the next ten years. and uh, wow. so um, since 1989 we've had our own institute, the Hendricks Institute, and we, have people from all over the world take our trainings now, and we've graduated, I think, about 1,200 uh, professional coaches over the past 25 years or so. Um, Amazing. So uh, I love to write. I'm um, uh, Every morning, if you looked in my window at 5.30 in the morning, you'd see me Busily writing. My wife likes to sleep until 730 or so, but I'm an early riser. I get up at 430 or so. And so uh, just me and the cats for a few hours. So I get a lot of my writing done in the early morning hours. And then the rest of the day, I do things like this.
1: Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. So
2: we talk about
0: your book, one book in particular, uh, The Big Leap, right? And on our show with our coaching clients, it is probably the number one book that we recommend. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I have a a, a therapy background through family systems and family of origin stuff. And so often our upper limit problems, Mm -hmm. as you talk about in The Big Leap, are from uh, where we are, our, our culture, uh, our family of origin stuff. And so right. that's why we recommend it so many times because it is just phenomenal. It's like we're, we're, we're so held back, but sometimes mm-hmm. we don't even know it, right? right. And, and right. your book, I've listened to it three times now, and I'm, I'm going to listen to it again mm-hmm. after this because it's like every time I, I read it or listen to it, I get something new from it where right. I can tweak in my own life. So what i'm really I'm really curious what first inspired you to to write the big leap where did you see this coming up over and over with clients with mm-hmm. you know your your delinquent boys that you work with with couples what was some what was the the um what was the onset of like oh man, I have to write this book because it's so important
2: yeah, thank you that's a great question. I always love to look into the origins of something myself so um well there's an old Turkish saying that if a bald man finds a cure, he will first use it on himself. And, uh, I, uh, I discovered the upper limit problem first in myself because, well, I was struggling with my weight at the time. I weigh about 180 pounds now and I'm about six feet tall. So, you know, I'm a reasonably athletic looking person, but I used to look like a pear, because uh, <laughs> I, I, resembled a pear, not an athlete. And, um, So I realized that I used food often as an upper limit, I would be feeling really good. And then I would eat a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't good for me. And I, uh, you know, and so I also, after I got my doctorate at Stanford, I stayed on at Stanford for a year as a research psychologist, because I was working on all of these things that we're talking about right now. And I happened to be very blessed to be in the same area as Silicon Valley was just getting underway at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I worked as a therapist with a lot of these really brilliant people that were doing all these amazing things at Mm -hmm. Intel and Hewlett Packard and all of these great companies that we kind of think of household names now, but they were just kind of getting started. But here's what I noticed. I noticed that these brilliant executives would have a big breakthrough at work and then they'd go home and have some terrible argument with their wife or family that mm-hmm. night. Or sometimes it would be the other way around. Things would be going really well at home. And then they'd get into some kind of a hassle at work that would kind okay. of knock them back down. So mm-hmm. I begin to realize that human beings have an upper limit on how good we will let ourselves feel inside mm-hmm. And how much success we'll let ourselves have outside because of these limiting beliefs that gets installed in us, usually at an early age. Mm -hmm. For example, what I did in the big leap, as you probably know from listening to it all that time, is I looked underneath, kind of looked under the hood of the upper limit problem to see what the specific fears are that drive it. And one of the big fears that so many human beings have, you know, at this stage of the game, I've worked with people that have won Grammys and Oscars and things like that, have attained great things in the world. And I've also worked with juvenile delinquents. And we're all the same. It doesn't matter if you got your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame or whatever. We all have these upper limit problems we struggle with. And one of the biggest ones is a feeling somehow that, you're fundamentally bad inside or fundamentally flawed in some way mm-hmm. so many people have that tucked away inside themselves so when things start going better another part of their mind says wait a minute things can't go this good because you're a real clod mm-hmm. and so that thought brings us back down and and as long as we kind of believe those upper limits We stay kind of down underneath a cloud rather than sticking our heads up into the light and saying, hmm, what do I want to create now? Who do I want to become? We kind of get trapped under that old cloud of our early programming. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of thing that I've been interested in over the past 40 years or so. And what we do here at the Hendricks Institute in our seminars is show people a very rapid way of getting beyond their upper limits so they can figure out what their true genius zone is. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'll just insert a shameless plug for my new book that'll be coming out in June called the genius zone. Yes. So, uh, (laughs) Uh, be sure to have me back on your show uh, yes. at that time, and I'd be happy to talk about that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, man, I Absolute. can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, already looking <laughs> Is it forward June to it yet? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, it's already for sale. It's pre. You can pre-order it, so I'll let your people know that they can pre-order it. Right. Oh, oh that's First amazing. First in their neighborhood to get it.
0: Yeah. Oh, awesome. we'll, we'll include that definitely in the show notes. Yeah. You know, you alluded to, man, there's just so much I want to talk about, and usually my brain just pings everywhere, but... Uh, you know, in the big leap, you talk about <clears throat> different zones zones mm-hmm. of excellence to where we can stay in that area for years, right? But then, when we make that big leap to our zone of genius, what does that look like for folks mm-hmm. and just personally i so i 've been a, a, a psychotherapist for fifteen years done agency work in private practice, and I recently one month ago quit that and did the big leap. You right. know, I mean, you, you, you talk me into it, Gay, I promise you. <laughs> you, you talk me into it. And so, um, can you talk about how people get stuck in that zone of excellence because it's just good enough and how we can just live for years in that area?
2: Yes. Yeah, so well, I appreciate you mentioning that because that's one of the big traps. Um, most of us can get out of our zone of incompetence. You know, mm-hmm. with a little bit of work, you can stop doing the things that you're really not good at doing and get somebody else to do them. Most of us can get ourselves out of our zone of competence. We 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 do things we're good at, but then we kind of go beyond that and find that zone of excellence. That can be the real trap, though, because in your excellence zone. You're probably making pretty good money. You're getting plenty of good feedback from the world. Everybody can depend on you. I've probably had upwards of 100, maybe 150 doctors and lawyers in here over the years who come in for sessions because the story they tell goes like this. They say, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm making my $500,000 a year. My wife and family loves to go on the big vacations and everything. But I feel like I'm trapped Mm -hmm. and What they're telling me, now I know what to listen to, what they're telling me is that every human being has this capability inside ourselves called your genius zone. And when you're in your genius zone, you're doing what you love to do, and you're doing it in a way that has the biggest positive impact on other people. That's a sign you're in the genius zone. But where a lot of us get stuck is in this earlier level that I call the excellence zone where you're doing good stuff. You know, you're, you're, you can be relied upon, you're a professional, you're, you make money, you're a provider. And yet there's this little nagging part of ourselves. That's never going to be fully, fully satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently was working with a person who's the CEO of a big wall street firm. And, makes tons of money and has a great place out on the hamptons and uh, you know contributes to big organizations and he tells me he says you know it's almost like i can do this in my sleep mm-hmm. but there's this other part of me that i can't quite figure out mm. and i know what he's talking about he's talking yeah. about his genius zone And so I think it's a duty of every human being, especially gifted human beings like you folks and me and others like us that listen to podcasts and like to learn and things like that. One of our big obligations in life is to be everything we can possibly be to open up our, our dialogue with our genius so that in our life every day so that we're living our genius Mm -hmm. and I'm very blessed in a way because I started thinking about this at a a relatively early age when I was in my thirties. And so I've had a lot of time. When I first started thinking about this, I calculated that I was only spending about 10% of my own time in my genius zone. And so that was around, Oh, in the 1980s, 1990, around in there. And so I set the goal for myself around 1990 of having of living 90% in my genius zone by the end of the century was how I put it. Mm-hmm. So it gave me about 10 years to ramp up from 10% to 90%. Boy, The first couple of years were pretty tough because I was going from 10% to 30%, you know, and so I had to say no to a whole bunch of things that were in my zone of excellence. Mm -hmm. You see, success in life is partly about the things you say yes to, but it's a whole lot about the things you say no to also Mm -hmm. So, to get that happy balance between yes and no in ourselves where we feel just as good about our no's as we do about our yeses, that's a good place to be. And to do that, you got to put in some practice time. Mm-hmm. Right. You
0: know, I, I like that. Uh, what we say, let's well, say this to the clients too, what we say yes to automatically means we're saying no to other things. Mm-hmm. And then what we're saying no to, we're saying yes to this too. So we have to be really judicious in our yeses and our no's. And, and where, where is my zone of genius in that, right? You you said something a minute ago, and it was just really interesting. It made me think of it in a different way. You said, yeah, so have a dialogue with that, with that zone of genius. And uh, I believe in the power of, of self-affirmations and visualization uh, type of practices because I've just seen it so many times in my life. And I know when I'm doing that, things really move energetically, spiritually, interpersonally. Would it would it make sense or would it sound too crazy if I was just saying, you know, okay, gay, I'm gonna um I'm gonna talk to my zone of genius and see what I can figure out there. Like I have a real dialogue, of course, in my head kind of thing. Now, does that make sense or is there could there be power in that? Could I could I benefit just having a, a normal conversation with my zone of genius?
2: Well, that's I, I really love that because um I don't know if you ever read that book many years ago by Martin Buber called The I-Thou Relationship. It's a you and me relationship. Um, That's the kind of relationship I like to have when I'm doing an audio book or when I'm writing a book. I like to think I'm just having a friendly conversation with part of myself and a friend that I'm walking along just kind of talking about. Mm -hmm. That's the tone I want to take because I think if we can develop that kind of you and me attitude with our emotions and our genius, everything inside ourselves, it makes it so much easier to connect with people outside ourselves. Because if you have a sense of loving yourself inside and treasuring your genius and being in a friendly dialogue with it, it means also that you can be in a friendly dialogue with other people's Mm -hmm. genius, you know, to draw that forth from them. To me, One one of the most wonderful things about my marriage to Katie is that we made some initial agreements with each other that really paid off in the long run. Uh, We said, we want to create a relationship where both of us tell the truth to each other all the time about things that are going on inside ourselves. That was pretty radical because I remember when we first started going on talk shows like Oprah, and we would talk about the value of couples being honest with each other about simple things like I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm mm-hmm. hurt, I feel happy, you know, those very simple things that people tend to conceal inside themselves. And I remember one woman on one of the talk shows we were on, I don't think it was on Oprah, but it was on one of the other big ones. We we were talking about this and she stood up in the audience and she said very impassioned, you know, like. I don't believe a word of what you're saying. I've been lying to my husband every day for 29 years and we're still married. Mm-hmm. And the audience goes, yay. <laughs> <You know>? And <laughs> that's when Katie and I in the green room afterwards are saying, what planet are we on here? Have right. we come to the wrong planet with our right. message? <laughs> uh, because it is pretty radical stuff, the idea of being honest. The other radical thing about our work is, and, and why it works so quickly, is that we invite people to take full responsibility for the things they've created in their lives Mm -hmm. rather than playing victim all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. You see, one of the big things that trips up couples is that arguments between couples are a race to occupy the victim position. Mm. You know, one person says, Hey, why are you doing this to me? And then the other one says me doing it to you. It's you. You're, you're the one that's at fault here. And -hmm. then that gets into a blame game. That's like two dogs chasing their tails around and it never does get Resolve the only way out of that whole victim thing is to choicefully joyfully take responsibility for what mm-hmm. you're creating in your life mm-hmm. and when you can get two people doing that boy that's real magic because that means you don't spend wasted time hours <laughs> days years right. in that victim drama L- literally i bet you've had this too I- i've had to- I just remembering a couple that came to us from the Midwest um, growing up on a big farm family, but now the farm had become this big industrial operation, but they'd been married for 29 years. And in their first session, when they came here, they got into the argument again and they said, we've been having this same argument now for 29 years. Mm. And... It was because they went for the victim position each time, you know, and there was a victim standoff. Yeah. And there's no way out unless each person says, OK, let me look at how I created this. And then the other person says, OK, let me look at how I created this. If you can get both people in that state of 100 percent responsibility, then you have two One hundred percent, and that's an actual human being. Yeah, I I never like it when somebody identifies their partner as their other half. You know, because I say, wait a minute, you're two whole people here. Right,
0: right,
1: right. Right. I I love that that, idea. That
0: uh, you're just hitting on something that we've been coming up in coaching a lot, and I Mm -hmm. think it was a really a a breakthrough for Melanie and I in our relationship. We've been married sixteen years. And uh, it makes me think of um, Eric Byrne and his work of transactional analysis and his book. Um, let's see. Um, I, it's, it's, it's like, I'm not okay. I'm okay if you're okay, or, or, or something like that, right, I'm and, okay,
2: you're okay. That was by Tom Harris, one of his disciples, one of Eric Byrne's disciples. Oh. Okay, so that
0: was birthed out of TA then. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the idea behind that and other like research that I've been doing is, man, okay, I need to be... Mm-hmm. Completely differentiated. I can be happy, whole, content, spiritually aware, conscious, all this stuff with or without Melanie and not contingent upon what right. she does or doesn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so right. that is uh, that's a key in a couple different areas first of all, that's empowering. And then also, secondly, I'm not the victim anymore. And then when she has done that too, we're like, okay, we're, we're cooking with gas, baby. We're, Mm -hmm. we're running. Like our our relationship is just on, on a, on a different level. Well, and I think
1: one of the hardest things in that dynamic that we've found with couples is that, like you said, it's like they're emerging. And I think of it like an injured dog. Like if you've ever seen a dog that's been abused, it, it hides from everyone. It barks at everybody. Even if you try to pet it it's mean to you right and so i think of what happens when i try to coax these it's usually the wife and i'm like hey you know you've got to be differentiated you've got to be happy no matter what this guy does yes we want him to do the right things mm-hmm. but you have to be happy first you have to be grounded first you have to be doing your best stuff first and then he can join you but what they end up doing is they go they, they it's almost like a dog they just back right back into that corner and they go but he but he but that but mm-hmm. he and then you're like oh I can't I can't get I can't get you both to grow if you're both just backing into a corner and growling at each other. And that to me, that's the best example of like the best visual of what people do to stay kind of stuck, especially as it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm. But you said something earlier when you were talking about the genius zone and people need to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. And that sentence really struck a chord with me, because I think people often think that when they want to do something successful, they need to do the best things that they can do versus be the best version of themselves that they can be. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge difference when we've when we sort of become that um, enlightened version of ourselves or the genius version of ourselves. Can you talk about sort of that difference? I think, because um, some people think it's doing versus being. Does that make mm. sense?
2: Very much so, because... Many people are operating out of a flawed thinking paradigm that says, if I do more and get more, then I'll have more and then I'll be a certain way. Mm. Um, Whereas that's almost a recipe for unhappiness. Yeah. Um, And one of the big learnings of life is the more you can love and treasure yourself inside and start with that the more than you can accomplish that's in harmony with that on the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a lot of times when I get people, they're at 40, 45, 50 years of age, and they've been doing something they don't like, right? just to make a lot of money doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I've literally had a dentist in here who decided he wanted to be a poet when he was 50 years old and pulled it off too (laughs) (laughs) but uh you don't have to be that extreme the way we do it here we say don't to to uncover your genius start simple just get into a dialogue with it you know just like you're saying get into a dialogue with your genius and say hmm hmm i call these wonder questions you say hmm what is my true genius, or hmm, what do I most love to do, and how can I do that more in my work? Those are very friendly kind of questions that you would ask of a good friend, you know, like mm-hmm. how could you do more of that? That's kind of a a different way to go about solving problems in a way because most people try to solve problems on the outside mm-hmm. first and then <laughs> then right. find out that they don't work very well and then You have to come into that sense of inner alignment with who you really are and what you really value and what you most love about yourself in order to birth that part of yourself that can invite forth the genius of other people. Mm -hmm. So leading starts, being a leader in whatever field you're in, I think starts with an inner journey Mm -hmm. as much as it is an outer journey. Because I've had the opportunity now, uh, when I was writing my book, The Corporate Mystic back in the 90s. I had the opportunity to be with a whole lot of corporate executives because I was doing a lot of consulting um, in companies at the time, or or sometimes they would come here. And one thing I really learned is that often the the brilliance of the mind has to be integrated into the wholeness of the heart Mm. in order for a person to be a truly successful leader whether it's a leader of a business or leader in the family i always tell people that the longest journey they'll ever make is 12 inches it goes mm-hmm. from the head down to the heart mm. to get the brilliance of the human mind integrated into the power of the human heart to to do the simple things like open up and accept Mm. things and love ourselves and do more of the work that we love to do. Because the moment you start tapping into that dialogue with your inner genius, it starts being real easy to invite forth the genius of other people. Mm. And if there's anything I've learned about life is the more you can surround yourself with people who are operating in their genius, the mm. more it can help you bring forth yours. So, what I've created around me is a whole genius community of, mm. you know, hundreds, thousands now, I guess, of people and millions, if you count the people that read the books, of people who really are making a conscious choice. To love themselves deeply. And they're Mm -hmm. making a conscious choice to spend time each day in their genius zone. So it's not by accident that good things are happening because it starts out with choices based on will this increase the amount of love in my life Mm -hmm. or will this increase my ability to love myself and to love others? If you start with those deep, powerful inner questions, the outer questions often kind of just answer themselves because that uh, you know it so often happens to me in life that I come to a place where I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to go and everything and those are the moments those moments of confusion are really positive in a way because they open you to the power of those wonder questions like Mm -hmm. "Hmm, what do I really want to do with my life? And Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I started asking those early, but there's never too late. I have people in here all the time that are in their 60s, 70s, and occasionally in their 80s who are still learning more about what they want to get out of life. And so it's a never-ending process, but it has to start with a sincere, open dialogue with your own heart.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. What do you think, or what have you found stops people the most from sort of making that, Uh, stepping into that space and I'll back up really quickly because when we read the book and started trying to get into our genius zone, I immediately felt this very visceral, stop it. Like, Mm -hmm. don't do that. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. Don't just stop. And that's how I felt all the time. Like, yay, And then it's like having a, like a bird trying to fly up and someone pulling it down by the leg was the, the sort of the sensation I kept feeling. So, what do you see that keeps people from really diving into this work and either staying in it successfully or just pulling right back out of it? What What do you notice?
2: Well, one thing you're touching on, I think, is really important. That most of us don't get a lot of support for bringing forth our geniuses when right. we're kids. You know, you're if you're the smart curious kid you're often told to shut up you know right. mm-hmm. sit down let the other kids answer you know that kind of thing <laughs> right i remember i wore out my arm in elementary school trying to yeah. get the teacher to call on me all the time you know and uh, but uh so we get a lot of early programming about don't pay attention to that. Don't let your light shine too bright. That's one of the biggest things that people struggle with, is mm. what I call the fear of outshining, where they get caught up in a, I better not let my light shine too bright because something bad will happen. In Australia, they call it, don't be the tall poppy, don't stick yeah. your head out above the rest for fear the farmer will cut it off first. And so they call it the tall poppy syndrome down there, but it's really the upper limit problem. What they're talking Mm -hmm. about is, um, you know, don't get your head above the pack. In Australia, you can kind of see where that comes from because uh, Australia is populated by a lot of people that were sent there as prisoners. Mm -hmm. And so in a prison, you know, there's a lot of that, keep your head down, you know, don't stick your head up above, Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't make a lot of noise. Um, But it's... You know, we've been around the world thirty some times now and um, over the past forty years. And one thing we've found is that it's everywhere. it's not it's not a problem that exists in one culture, that all of us have an upper limit tendency in ourselves. It's really based on fear. Mm-hmm. the The whole thing, you got to befriend your fear if you mm-hmm. really want to unwind the upper limit problem, because underneath the upper limit problem, is something you get scared about first and then you do the upper limit thing. Like, mm. for example, you go on a diet and you success, you're you on the diet successfully for three days. Wow, you're waking up feeling better. You got more pep in your step. Then suddenly that fear comes up. I don't deserve this. I don't mm. deserve to feel great all the time. That's mm. the limiting belief. And so what do you do? You go out and you... Uh, inhale a box of chocolates or whatever your particular addiction happens to be. And speaking as a formerly fat person, I know a lot about that uh, tendency. Uh, I discovered 50 years ago when I lost the weight, I discovered that I used food. I didn't have the upper limit language at the time that hadn't occurred to me, but I used food as a way of dealing with emotions. Like if I felt alone on Saturday night, you know, I'd find myself standing over there in front of the refrigerator. I wasn't really hungry, right. but I was just looking for something that I might amuse myself with to distract myself. Mm. And I can remember vividly the first time I actually caught myself doing that and realized, oh, I'm feeling scared and lonely, and I'm trying to fix it with ice cream. Mm. 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 Mm what might that have to do with making me fat? (laughs) You know, I realized I was eating to quiet emotions that I didn't know how to deal with. Mm. So, you know, it took me years to get, you know, skilled at opening up and feeling my emotions and acknowledging and being able to talk about emotions to be able to say, I felt angry about that or I felt hurt when you said that or I feel scared right now. Boy, that was hard for me to say those kind of simple Mm -hmm. things because I'd grown up in an era, kind of the John Wayne era, you know, where men were supposed to be the strong silent type and they didn't you couldn't imagine John Wayne saying, Honey, I was sure hurt yesterday when you (laughs) said something, you know, it just (laughs) wouldn't come out very well, or sitting around the campfire out on the anything you know, Rex, sometimes when we're out here, you start looking pretty good to me. And, uh, uh, so uh, I didn't grow up in that era. I grew up in the era. I can even remember my big brother, who's eight years older than I am. Once I got hit in the forehead with a baseball, um, I, I was trying to field a, a short hopper and it oh. popped up and hit me in the forehead and knocked me out for a minute. And as I got up, I was crying and i remember my older brother who was playing in the same game came running over and sort of escorted me off the field and he was saying don't cry don't cry don't cry you know grab your arm or something don't cry and uh there was such a a programming against showing emotions Mm -hmm. and it's different now i know but it took Mm -hmm. my body Mm -hmm. a long time to catch up with that you know because my default instinct was to hide who I was inside, not to reveal who I was inside. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Oh. I, I like in that scenario, the guy's name was Rex. I just thought that was funny. Rex. But that comes up with our, our coaching clients as well. It's a lot of stuff that we have to unlearn, mm-hmm. right? That we learn from family of origin, that we learn from culture, John Wayne movies or are, are whatnot. Right. And being able to face that fear of, wait a minute I can't I can't feel this incongruency anymore if mm-hmm. I feel like I you know need to cry or talk about something that's really hard to hold on to for you know 10 20 right. 30 years even and sometimes just like I mean for guys it comes out in anger I think typically mm-hmm. you know but if we can get that imbalance and and kind of face that fear I think one thing that you said about uh the the upper limit problem is oh man I lost I lost my train of thought there uh <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was an upper limit. Maybe I alt as you say in the book. Right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it was. Um, um, let's see. Well, one
1: thing I wanted to bring up that uh, you had mentioned was this idea of being comfortable with fear, or like what? What did you say? What? What term did you use? Like starting friendly
2: conversation going with your fear. There,
1: mm-hmm. and a lot of times we see with especially our male clients. Um, usually like you're saying they're in their forties, fifties, their dads and they're married. And what, instead of getting, having like friendly conversations and trying to figure out what their fear is telling them, they just explode and yell at their wife. They just explode or they go drink or they do whatever. And so it almost feels like this, um, Like if you're swimming in the water and a shark keeps coming after you and instead of like turning and facing it and trying to fix the problem, you're just like, I'm going to swim this way as fast as I can and hide. But Mm -hmm. then the shark finds you and you just start doing this for 30 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of, Oh yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, I wanted to mention that fear has four different expressions. Okay. Uh, We call them the four F's around here. Fight, flee, freeze, faint. So when organisms get scared, Some people come out swinging, you know, Mm -hmm. that's their adaptation to fear is to get angry, to get away from their fear by getting angry. Some people turn and try to avoid it, try to flee. Mm -hmm. So fight and flee are probably two of the biggest ones. But faint and freeze, faint doesn't mean you necessarily keel over. It just means you kind of get spacey. Right. And can't think straight mm-hmm. and get the urge to go watch an old Star trek episode right. or an old uh, <laughs> American Idol episode or whatever uh, uh, And freeze doesn't mean you you know you turn to ice it just means you you know your muscles yeah. tighten up you can't think think straight. So um, you need to kind of figure out which modality you go into. Uh, I think somewhere on one of our websites, We had a quote from a guy that was so good. He said that one word he learned in our training changed his marriage. And the one word was instead of communicating when he was angry, he looked underneath his anger and he realized that most of the time when he was angry, what he really was feeling was fear. He didn't realize that anger was an expression of Mm. fear. And so he said to his wife one day, when he was angry, I'm scared of dot, dot, dot. And mm-hmm. it completely unwound wow. the whole pattern. He said his his mm-hmm. wife, her jaw literally dropped like, <laughs> you know, because she couldn't believe her husband was saying that kind of thing. Uh-huh. That actually happened in my relationship with Katie about, I would say a year into our relationship, we hadn't learned a lot of these things now that we teach, you know, mm-hmm. we had to kind of fly by the seat of their pants because mm-hmm. when we got together, there weren't any marriage manuals or right. self-help books. We had to write them ourselves. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, imagine a world without self-help books, you know, you <laughs> can't know. even imagine that world. It's Jeez. like a world without, uh, without these things. Uh, right. in our life. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I'm glad we had to do that in a way because we had to kind of learn by doing and figure out things and make a thousand mistakes. And because of that, you know, the next generation doesn't have to make as many um, mistakes. But there was this one moment where our relationship really changed. And it was because of this same thing of being able to communicate something I was scared about rather than something I was angry about. I was in the middle of criticizing Katie for something yamma 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 and all of a sudden i realized oh my voice sounds irritated and i'm criticizing her but what i'm actually feeling down in my belly is fear Mm. huh and so i just blurted out that i said you know i just realized i'm I, i sound angry but what i actually am feeling is fear let me just stop it what am i scared about it took about a tenth of a second i realized that underneath the anger was this fear of losing her. Mm. You know, that I was operating out of a fear of losing her and that if I kept her at a distance, it wouldn't hurt as much if we Mm. ended up breaking up. That was such a huge moment of my life because I realized, oh, well, let me just communicate that.
1: Yeah,
2: (sighs) I'm afraid of losing you. (laughs) Wow, that was a huge moment, because it was kind of like dropping again from here, down into here. And so we do our best now, in our trainings, we say, you know, learn to communicate your emotions in the same tone of voice as you communicate the time of day. You don't mm-hmm. you don't have to say to somebody that asks you, "What time is it? You don't have to say it's nine forty two you know <laughs> <laughs> you can just say it's nine forty two just like if somebody says, "I'm sorry, did I hurt your feelings?" You can say, "Yes, my feelings did get hurt. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that, you know? mm-hmm. so it's just that, those little moments, yeah, yeah, that
0: so that's that's gold right there, and yeah. I just want to meditate on that. But I'm realizing something as as you guys were talking, and maybe that's why I kind of lost my train of thought there for a minute, because these last, I think, three days, I've just been kind of irritable. Right. And typically, I'm fairly easygoing, like, yeah. okay, yeah, growth mindset, open, all this stuff, right? But I've just been... What is going on? What? Right, right. What is this? And I was like, well, wait a minute. It's basically, you know, 30 days ago, I quit my 15-year career as a psychotherapist to dive into this full-time. Okay, so there's some anxiety around that. There's some adjustment around that. That's great. And still trying to just go through things. Okay, things are going good. I'm like, things are going well, right? Mm. But I'm just irritable. What, what is this, right? So, you know, talking to Melanie, I was kind of like, was rude and ugly to her, you know, a little bit, snapped at her. But... Now that I'm thinking about it, okay, it's it's what's below the anger, mm-hmm. the irritability, just the like, okay, you're just a I don't know, grouchy person right now, is fear. Right. Like, wait a minute, what if I made the wrong choice of making this big leap? Right. What if we don't, you know, hit our you know, client goals for for coaching clients? What if, man, uh, our kids are going to turn out like this, which reminds me of like relationship with my own dad. Ugh, okay. Well, okay. What is it? What is it? Well, uh, right. we're, we're, we got to do stuff. It's differently. Your fault. It's your fault. I didn't say it was your fault, right but now. this, that irritability. And I, and I really think gay is like, wow, it's fear. Mm-hmm. Hey, Melanie, I'm kind of scared about that. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to have a bad relationship with our kids and make this a wrong decision. Cause right. I, I'm kind of scared about it.
1: Right. Well, and that's it. it whew, yeah, <laughs> that
0: kind of feels yeah. better just there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just saying that. And um, if you don't mind my asking, how old are you? I am forty-three. Yes, forty-three. I thought it was forty-two, but it's
2: forty-three. <laughs> yeah. Well, they usually. Uh, the reason I ask that is midlife is usually considered like forty-two to fifty-five. So you're knocking on the door of this huge change in your life. In developmental psychology, we say in your thirties you find your life. In your 40s, you build your life, mm. and that's a big deal, you know. So treat yourself to some fear. Ah, <sighs> make friends with it. You know, <sighs> it's been here longer than we have. Celebrate yeah. it. Paint yeah. it red. Right. <laughs> Look yeah. at me, folks. Look at what I'm doing. I quit my 15-year career as a therapist. I'm inventing this whole new thing. Do I know it's going gr- to be great? Hell no, I don't. I just started it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, (laughs) I I want to tell you something funny that just happened to me the other day. You know, this is an era of political correctness, right? mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I, 99% of all the fan letters I've ever gotten for the big leap, I've received thousands of them by now and, you know, hundreds of great reviews on Amazon, but occasionally a real clunker of a bad one will come in the door. And I hadn't had one about the big leap in ages. And so I get this. I don't know if you remember in the Big Leap. I to illustrate this point, I said, "Imagine how Columbus and his shipmates felt when they left the harbor and began to sail across this place toward, I don't know what." So my whole point, what I wasn't bragging about Columbus or anything. I was just using that as an example. Right. (laughs) So I get this uh, negative fan letter from someone who hadn't even bought the book. Somebody she said. (laughs) My mother gave me the book and suggested I read it, but I only got to page 19 because I saw the name of Columbus and I was triggered by this. Do you have any idea how much damage (sighs) Columbus caused to the Native Americans? And she went on this uh, rant, which, you know, I can kind of see the point of that, but that wasn't exactly the point I was making. Right. Uh, so, uh, but that's kind of political correctness, I think, uh, gone to an extreme, you know, that a yeah. person could be triggered by the word Columbus and stop reading a book right. because of the fear that w- what was going to come next. Right. Uh, but that illustrates to me the incredible power of the fear that I'm very talking about. Right, right. <laughs> you know, cuz I imagine this person's mom gave her the book for a certain reason, you know? Right, right. And uh, probably to get her out of her basement. You know? uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so but we all need to take, you know, take that under consideration because it just speaks to the amount of fear that we have when we're jumping off into the unknown. Right. That's why I recommend you start doing it 10 minutes at a time. So mm. plug into your calendar 10 minutes today on your genius zone, doing what mm. you most love to do next week, maybe bump it up to 20 minutes and say, so you don't have to throw your life over entirely and right. row off to uh, Tahiti uh, with your 23 year old secretary or anything like that. You can just begin 10 minutes a day of dialogue with your genius. Yeah,
0: I, I love that. I love that. And I also want to be respectful of your time. Right. Um, so we, two, two questions. I'm um, where
2: time comes from. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: That's good. Yeah. Uh, um, what is your zone of genius right now, would you say? How
2: are you living out your zone of genius? Well, I'm doing this, for example. This is definitely in my genius zone. Uh, one of my aspects of my genius is the ability to explain really complicated stuff in a really simple way that allow people to get it. And so I continue to do that. Um, you know, technically I haven't had to work for a living for 30 years. So thanks to (laughs) Oprah. Um, but, um, I'm just as passionate about doing this today as I was 20 years ago, because to me it's an essential message that I feel like, um, I've been given a blessing and a sense of the ability to figure out something that changed my life and appears to be changing the lives of lots of other people. And so I want to keep that message going because I want to live on a world of geniuses. You know, I don't want to live on a planet where everybody's miserable and contracted and having starvation and things like that. I want to live where we're living out an abundance of our genius. And one of my mentors, Buckminster Fuller, said there's enough resources on earth to, for everyone to be a billionaire, not just a millionaire. And mm. if we organize things correctly. And so I think that's our challenge is to coming to terms with who we are as human beings so we can implant love in our depths and operate out of mm. love rather than operating out of fear. Yeah, that's great. I, that. I know
0: the the three headers on the hen, on is body relationships and big leaps, right? And that that really kind of embodies what mm-hmm. the, well the spirit of of what you're saying. And one one last question, uh, well, I guess two two last <laughs> questions. But what right now currently is bringing you the jazz? You know, and I know that oh. question is similar to what I just said, but just yeah. like I mean, it could be canoe racing or right. building a log cabin. <laughs> I don't even know.
2: Well a tumble of things come through my mind first of all I'm working on a new mystery novel in my early morning hours I don't know if you guys know this but I write mystery novels in my spare time I oh. did yeah I haven't read yeah. them but
0: I did know that that's cool
2: yeah I've got two two different mystery series one is a Tibetan Buddhist private detective and another one is a Victorian era uh, name uh, kind of a crosstown competitor of Sherlock Holmes named Sir Errol Hyde but I'm just now launching a third series with a really interesting new character named garrett stone and he's a former navy seal but he's very different than what you might think of Um, and so i'm just working on him and in the early morning hours and it's right now got my juice up also i love um, fresh air oriented activities katie and i go for walks and we have a beautiful home here that we look after, and beautiful gardens and things like that. And so, um, we've lived in this home now for twenty years, and kind of fine tuned it to our specs. And uh, I like to play golf. I'll be playing golf tomorrow. I played golf yesterday, so. I uh, live about two minutes away from the Ojai Valley Inn golf course, where I've been a member for many years. So, I, I regard golf as a walking meditation. That's my goal <laughs> oh, when yeah. I play golf: is to have a three-hour walking meditation. Oh, I
1: love oh, that.
0: Oh yeah, I, I love golf. I've played throughout college and worked at golf courses in a in a different life. We live across um, the street from a golf uh, across, course. Across actually. the street yeah. from. A, but I just want to say thank you, like from the bottom of our hearts. Yeah. Your book, The Big Leap, has impacted not only my life, but Melanie's life as well. And then that has impacted our marriage, which impacts our family, which impacts our podcast and impacts our coaching and our mission. So I'm, I'm really sincerely thankful that you wrote that. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. Mm -hmm. We really, really appreciate it. And where do you
1: want our listeners to go to learn more about you? Like, what do you want them to buy? Of course, we're getting the book, all of that. So tell us more about all
2: that. Okay, good. Uh, Well, uh, they can, uh, pre-order by new one the genius zone that's probably the most practical right now today thing to do that'll be out uh god willing god and goddess willing on uh, june 29th mm-hmm. um, and so in the meantime uh, i would say the best thing anybody could do is go over to hendrix.com and uh, look up all our different options and we also have a non foundation that has a lot of uh, free resources in it uh, the foundation for conscious living and uh, we uh, encourage people to go there and learn all about our different uh, resources that uh, they can access at home. Um, and uh, so Hendricks.com is good. Also, just to go outside and take a few deep breaths today and ask yourself, hmm, what is my true genius? What do I most love to do? If you're circulating that question through your mind, you're a friend of mine.
1: Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much. I'm going to listen to this show probably a couple times, not for editing reasons or anything like (laughs) that, but to to get the the nuggets out of there. So again, thank you so much, and we'd love to have you back on when the new book comes out. So we look forward to it.
2: Good. Thanks for doing the work. Blessings to you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.